For those that uh, have not been here the last few weeks, we are working our way towards Christmas, towards Advent, with uh, a study in the first chapter of the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John starts out different than any of the other Gospels that we talk about. The Gospel of John starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then when we jump to verse 14, we see the Word is identified. It says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So the first week, two weeks ago, we, we, we looked at and studied how Jesus' divinity is proven in those first couple of verses. That he was God, but he was also with God. So we see the Trinity being laid out before us. And it's a, the exciting times when we think that God in the flesh. And this is what we looked at last week. God in the flesh. That he became flesh and then dwelt among us. These are two facts that we, we see very clearly in Scripture, that it's laid out that he was God, he came in the flesh, and he humbled himself and dwelt among us. And last week we spent some time talking about that phrase, and he dwelt among us. And that phrase could have been translated and was in a number of your, of your Bibles, he tabernacled among us. And so last week we spent some time looking at the Old Testament tabernacle seeing how it was a picture of the whole salvation plan of God, that God had formed this plan, the Scripture says, before the foundations of the world. And when we see Christmas come, or what we call Christmas, the birth of Christ, we're really seeing his plan of salvation really begin in earnest. And this week we're going to continue in the Gospel of John, but we're going to go a little bit different trek. We're going to look at the gifts, some gifts of Christmas, that we receive through Christ. You know, back in the early 90s, I think 1992, that sounds like ancient history, doesn't it? Cindy and I made our first mission trip to Russia. And at that time, these little dolls that are called stacking dolls, or more accurately called matryoshka or matryoshka dolls, really had never seen them before. Now, how many of you know what they are now? Yeah, we see them all over now. They're kind of like a gift within a gift, so we could hardly wait to bring some of those cool dolls home and give them to people. And you know, if you're not familiar with them, you open it, and there's more dolls inside of that one. And they're, they can be identical. They can be a, Some of them are just goofy. I saw some that were presidents of the United States. <laughs> but some of them have up to 30 dolls with inside the one big doll. And they're all hand-painted. And it's amazing. It's like you give it a gift, you open it, there's another gift and another gift and another gift. And that's kind of what we're going to look at today because when we think of Christ, most oftentimes if I say Jesus Christ gave us, we'd probably say salvation. He gave us the gift of salvation. And amen, he did do that. But with that, there are some other extraordinary gifts given to us. And we're going to look at a couple of them this morning in particular, and then we're even going to see that within those gifts, there's other gifts. And we're going to focus a little bit on that this morning. I'm going to start with John chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. And we're going to look at two specific gifts, and these gifts are so interrelated, one does not exist without the other. You could almost put them together. But the first one we want to read about is in John Chapter 1, verse 9, it starts out, The true light that gives life to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world, the world was made through him. But the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Born of God. One of the gifts that we are given by Jesus and through what he did for us on the cross is we got the right to become children of God. Now, we could say that phrase and almost say it flippantly, but there is such power in the meaning of that phrase that as we accept Jesus Christ as our personal personal Lord and Savior, it's like an adoption process takes place immediately. The Spirit of God moves into us, and God sees us as his children, children of God. This was not of our doing, not at all. There is nothing we could do to you know, say, hey, God, aren't you impressed with me, my lifestyle? Look at all the good things I've done. Look at all the good works I'm doing. Look how often I go to church I never miss. Look at how often I do this, that, or the other thing. It was not anything to do with us. It was of the will of God. It was not the will of man. There was nothing we could do. Imagine what we are given in this gift. We are given a relationship. And this is what we need to understand. Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a religious exercise. It is a relationship. And we are given a relationship as his child. As his child. A relationship with the God who created the universe is a gift to us through what Christ did. It's hard to wrap your mind around that, I know. But he calls you and me, his sons and his daughters, if we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. You know, when we we look at that, he didn't just accept us as his created beings because he created us. He didn't... uh, make us some sort of indentured servant or slave. Matter of fact, he didn't make us angels. As human beings, we get so impressed with angels. Here's the news flash for you. The angels are impressed with us. God created us above the angels. We want to become an angel. I do not want a demotion. I want to be a child of God. And that's what I am according to the Scriptures. His child. Now, I realize one of the reasons some of us have a hard time with that, maybe all of us have had at different times in our life, when we call God our Heavenly Father, I'm His child, I've been adopted into His family, not all of us grew up in good families. Not all of us had fathers that demonstrated love for us the way they should have. Some of us grew up in abusive homes. Verbal abuse, demeaning words, called names. Some of us grew up in homes where there was physical abuse. Some of us grew up in these types of homes where we think of, gee, God's my father, and our, our mind flashes to all those bad things that may have been in our lives. But the thing is, he's not like that. He is a perfect father. Now, try as we may, none of us human beings are perfect fathers. But we have a heavenly father who is absolutely perfect. A matter of fact, his very character is love. He is 
love, according to the Scriptures. And we see this love demonstrated in the fact that he calls us his children, sons and daughters. And when we look at the New Testament, it goes a little further, and this is what I mentioned when I said gifts within gifts. As his children, the Bible, the New Testament, talks an awful lot about being heirs of God. Joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What is an heir? We inherit. We inherit from the family, from our fathers. We are called joint heirs. In Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. We are heirs of His glory. But if we are to share in His glory, we must also share in His suffering. We are joint heirs with Christ. We are heirs. We are part of the family. When we receive God's Spirit, you were adopted. You didn't have to do anything else except Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Acknowledging our sins and realizing we need a Savior and acknowledging that Jesus was that perfect man because he was God in the flesh. And once we do that, we're part of the family. And in the scripture I just read where it says they call him, you could, you could translate that word call him as cry. He cry out, Abba, Father, Father, Father. And the word cry there is, if you want to picture what it would mean, it's like if dad's been gone away, gone a while, gone away from home for a while, and you come to the door and you open the door, and here come the kids. Daddy! They're so excited to see you. That's what that word means in the Greek when they say he called out, cried out. There's a passion. There's an excitement. There's an enthusiasm to see Father. Abba. Father. And since we're his children, we're heirs. Now, in, in the Old Testament and in the Jewish culture, even in the New Testament, if you were the heir of the family, that meant you were the oldest son. The oldest son got the bulk of the inheritance. You might have had eight kids, ten kids, but the oldest son got the lion's share of the inheritance. Now, not because he was the favorite. Not because he was a boy necessarily, but because they did this for a purpose. To protect the wealth and the importance of the family. The family name. The oldest son carried on the family lineage, the family name, and he kept the bulk of the wealth. So when, when, when we read this about the inheritance, Paul is saying something to the Jewish mindset again that would be a little bit mind-boggling. He's not saying you're adopted as children and you're all going to get some kind of inheritance. I don't know how it's going to be passed out, maybe dependent upon your good works. No, that's not what he's saying to them at all. He's saying every single one of us, the moment we are adopted as children, 
We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And this inheritance is so awesome. It is so amazing. We're going to think we're the only one that got it because it's that amazing. And that's what he's saying to the people. It's kind of like when, when they talked about tabernacled with. The Jewish mind would have got this. They would have thought about this in a way different than we maybe do when we hear that phrase. In Philippians 4.19, it says this, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Jesus Christ. Now that's a family fortune I want part of. We are joint heirs out of the riches of the Father. And that glorious inheritance is so amazing, I'm going to think I'm the only one that got it. And you're going to think likewise. And the Jewish mind would go, what? It makes no sense. But it's true, according to what the Scriptures say. What is this inheritance? Now, I'm going to, we could spend a lot of time talking on this, but I'm going to just break it in two quick categories. And the first one is, there is an inheritance that we experience here on earth. What do we inherit here on earth as we're adopted as children of God, as his child? We adopt kindness, his intimacy, love, security, patience, his glory, wisdom, power, mercy. All of these things are made available as part of our inheritance as the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in us. The Holy Spirit. That's why there should be this change, and it should increase over time in our Christian walk but we should be changed. We are a new creature in Christ. And part of that being a new creature is we receive this inheritance from God the Father by the Holy Spirit living in us. And in heaven and eternity, it's even better, way better. What do we inherit? Well, we get to be with God forever. We will see fully. We will be like Christ. We are, we'll be transformed. Remember in the scripture, it says, in the twinkling of an eye, we are going to be changed. This change is taking place, sometimes painfully slow in our lives here on earth, to become Christ-like. When we are in heaven, we are going to be like him. We're not going to be a God, but we are going to be like him forever. We are going to be freed from all pain, all death, All sorrow, gone, forever. We are going to be rewarded. And we're going to be reassigned tasks. We're going to rule with Him. There are rewards. Scripture mentions it more than once. Our rewards in heaven for each and every one of us. And once again, those rewards are going to be great. He said, Cal, I want to get all the rewards I can get. Amen? I do too. But I'm not going to know if I got as many as you because whatever I have is going to be so awesome, so amazing. I won't know that you might have more because in heaven it's just going to be glorious forever. And we will get to share in Christ's and God's glory. You know, and I didn't write this down and I can't remember the Scripture, but there's a Scripture that even tells us that you and I are part of God's glory. He receives glory from us as His children. How can that be? Because his son died for us. And we chose to live for him. The glory of God. In 1 Peter, it talks again a little bit about the inheritance. In 1 Peter 1, starting in 
verse 3, the last part of verse 3. It says, now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. Inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure, undefiled, and beyond the reach of change and decay. Our inheritance in heaven cannot be damaged. It can't be stolen. Nothing can destroy it. You know, we live in this world and you live in a country and you might have all kinds of wealth and war breaks out and almost all of them immediately you've got nothing. Natural disasters come, hurricanes come, tornadoes come, floods come, and all of a sudden you've got nothing. All of these things that happen, but in heaven our inheritance can't be touched. And when you look at the words he used to describe it, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be pure. It's going to be such as we can't even imagine with our natural minds. Totally protected, totally permanent, lasting forever and ever. And this is what we should be looking forward to. How many times do you see people or you hear about people, man, all they are doing is striving to build up an inheritance, if you would. Striving to build up material goods. Striving to make more money, have a bigger house, have a newer car. Striving for all these things. Our focus is so wrong. We should be focused on the eternal inheritance. Those eternal rewards that God wants to give out. In Colossians 3, verse 23, it says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. Work as though you are working unto the Lord. You know what? As Christians, we're always working as unto the Lord. Does it bring him glory and blessing? Or doesn't it? Depends on what it is we're doing. What our focus is. So that first gift within the gift of Christ, is to be adopted as sons and daughters. The second one I want to mention is in John chapter 1, jumping ahead a number of verses to verse 29 through 34. And really, it's the first verse or two. It says this. The scene is John the Baptist is sitting with a couple of his disciples, a couple of his followers. And then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said these words, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be received, I mean revealed to all of Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist gives a title to Jesus. And once again, like tabernacling with us, this again, this phrase, behold, the Lamb of God, with a resonated with the Jewish mind. The Lamb of God, behold, the Lamb of God. Probably the first thought would be to the Passover Lamb the lamb that was slain to cover the sins of Israel. Actually, the moment Jesus died, history tells us that it was a time that the Passover lamb was being sacrificed at the temple. 
the Passover lamb. It could have brought other references. There was two lambs daily slaughtered at the temple every day to cover the sins of the people of Israel. The Jewish mind also would have probably remembered from the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 53, that a lot of you are familiar with, where it talks about a lamb being led to slaughter. So when John the Baptist declared this, he was speaking in a language and using words that the Jewish people would have clearly, clearly understood. The Lamb of God, the Lamb that will die for the forgiveness of our sins. You can see how these two gifts are so interconnected. Without the forgiveness of sins, we cannot be the sons and daughters of God. Without Christ dying on a cross, there would have been no pathway for you and I to have our sins forgiven. But the reality is, these gifts are within the gift of this little baby in a manger that we talk about during our Christmas season. And when we look at these gifts, I hope it's clear to every single one of us here what God's desire was in sending Jesus to earth. God's desire was he wanted a relationship with you and me. He loves us so much, he wants a relationship. And look what that relationship cost him. Jesus had to leave the glory of heaven, leave the fellowship that he had had from eternity's past with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he had to put on flesh and come as a baby, a helpless baby in a manger. And even though he lived a perfect, sinless life, they arrested him and crucified him. He paid a price for our sin. The punishment that we deserved, he took it on himself. He is making his heart intention. The Father is making his heart intention perfectly clear. He loves you. He loves me. It's about a love of our Heavenly Father. Hopefully, if we grasp hold of these things, he provided a way of forgiveness. We become his sons and daughters. There is inheritance for us. We see how much he loves us you become to realize or begin to realize more clearly that God does not keep score on your life. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. The moment you come to Christ, that sin's gone. It's forgiven. The Scripture says it's removed as far as the east and the west. What it means is when he looks at Mike, he doesn't look at those years that I'd like to forget. He doesn't look at all those things that I did that I wish I'd have never done. He doesn't look at all those acts that were totally ungodly and look at the scorecard and say, well, it's been a long time. You're getting closer to break even. Some of us live our lives that way, like we think God's got a scorecard and He's evaluating you and I to see if we're going to make it. He has no scorecard. Our sins are forgiven. They're gone. The Greek word in John one twenty nine, where it says he takes away our sin means it takes upon yourself and you carry it away. When Jesus was on the cross, the sin of the world was put on his back. The scripture says he became a curse on our behalf. Pure, innocent, and holy, yet he experienced the fullness of the wrath of God. All the way up to that moment when he said, it is finished. The price had been paid in full. 
If you've never experienced what it's like to be a son or daughter of God, you need to do that. Why not trust him? Why not surrender your life to him? He will not reject you if you do that. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've been told, he loves you that much. And as we head towards Christmas, that thought, those thoughts, should be a part of our mindset. It's not just about all the celebrating. It's not about all just about family and gifts and presents. All those things are awesome. But it's about a path of forgiveness that led to me and you being called sons and daughters of the King, the creator of all that ever has existed. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I praise you and thank you for Jesus Christ, your Son. God, when I didn't deserve it, when we did not deserve it, you came to the earth in the form of a child, a baby. You humbled yourself and you went to a cross and you died this most horrific, horrific death imaginable. Suffered unbearably in your physical body and experienced the wrath of the Father towards sin so that I would not have to. You died in our place. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for the resurrection. That Jesus did not stay dead. The grave couldn't hold him. Death was defeated. And there we all have that certain hope that we one day too will be with you in your very presence. And we will experience the inheritance that you have for us. Lord, I pray that we have opportunities during this holiday season when people's hearts and minds are open to the Christmas story that we have and take advantage of opportunities to share the good news of Jesus Christ, the hope that's within us. Father, we ask all these things that Jesus would be glorified and it's in his name we pray. Amen.